This is a download from the Wireless Theatre Company. It occurred to me several years ago as a pity that no private account should be preserved of the distinguished men of importance that had marked the progress of Scotland, or at least of Edinburgh, during my day. I had never made a single note with a view to such a record, but about 1821 I began to recollect and inquire. These then are the memorials that I, Lord Henry Coburn, Advocate General, have put to paper. And this is what I wrote at the time concerning the business of Messrs. Burke and Hare. Of course, it should never be forgotten uh, that they were both by birth and inclination Irish. Burke and Hare, Part 1 by Terry Newman. Christ, a terrible thing has happened. Ah! And what would that be, Mr. Hare? You know the lodger, old Donald, Mr. Burke. What, that disreputable, dissolute, no-good drinker and fornicator? The same. He's only gone up and died. A wonderful fellow. He'll be sorely missed. He will at that, Mr. Burke. He owed me four pounds. Inconsiderate at best. Left me with a hole in my pocket and another room to fill in this cursed house. Four pounds is no mean sum. You might be putting the prices up. Two pence a night is threatening as it is. Taking advantage of my good nature like that by dying insolvent. So what are you going to do with the body? Throw him off the North Bridge. You can't do that. You're right. I'll never make it without a cart. He is a weight, especially for a man of his shoe size. And what size was that? Far too small. I tried them all. And they'd never fit you, neither. I have it on good authority that the feet are smaller when you first arise in the morning and get larger through the day. There'd be no chance of a pair of boots that may fit me, say, uh... To luncheon. I would normally bow to your expertise in such matters, given your extensive training in the cobbling art. But believe me, in this case, you would have to forgo the pleasure of having your toes located at the end of your feet in order to wear his boots. Still, my nail might get a shilling or two for him if I send around the streets to hawk him. And that is very considerate of you. But what of old Donald? I see nothing for it. It'll have to be a Christian burial. For such a man, it hardly seems fitting. I've already contacted the authorities. They'll be here to fetch him presently. Has he a coffin? Ah, the best that two old packing crates and a full pound of nails can provide. Well, let's see him then. (laughs) Careful with that candle. You'll burn the street down. Jesus. 
He was no oil painting the lave, and death has not improved the canvas. He was a testament to the danger of hard drink and its effect upon the liver and the spleen. Aye. Good health. Cautionary tale of the perils of overconsumption of rich food and sweetmeats that do nothing but distend the belly and give the gout. Aye. And the sinful pursuits of the venal pleasures that tax the flesh and burden the spirit and give a woman an unfair grip upon a man. Not to mention the pox. There is no doubt that old Donald was an object lesson in debauchery. He should be put in exhibition, not planted in the earth. A cautionary tale for the weak-willed. And a wealth of information for the medical profession. Especially the students. Both for their future profession and their current extramural activities. You don't think... I have heard of such a thing. There was a doctor now in Leeds who would pay handsomely for a freshly dug up corpse, which is, of course, a wicked thing. Oh, yes. A very English thing. Mind you, of course, old Donald isn't buried. That is true. What is more, he's in debt to you to the sum of four pounds. And... As he was a Christian. He was? Oh, yes. I frequently heard him ask for the Lord's assistance as he attempted to mount the stairs on a Saturday night. Well, that settles it. We'd simply be carrying out the man's final wishes if he had been made him. To see you reimbursed, that is. I believe you are right. That'll be them for old Donald. Quick, let's get him out of that coffin. They'll notice it is light to the tune of one overweight bedraggled sot. Then we must replace him with something else. What, though? Ah, water. Sometimes you're so stupid, you're hideous. Why? How are we going to carry all that water through the house without being seen? Good point. Ah, then stones. We could carry them in our pockets. Stones? In our pockets? Eh? Not in Westport on a Saturday night. They'll all have taken up the best cobbles to throw at their neighbours later. Oh! No. We're missing the obvious. The obvious. The obvious. I've got it. Tree bark. Of course. Tree bark. Tree bark. Let me see. Now, where did I leave that 15 stone of tree bark? You left it nowhere, but I left it in the yard prior to taking it to the tannery where it fetches a fair price for the curing of leather. Ah, I could kiss you if you weren't like the sore on a dwarf's hump. Come on. Did you not hear the knock on the door? William! William Hare! Ah, uh, Maggie, my love. Were you not aware of the cacophony? Ah, uh, no. Uh, I was moving old Donald's coffin out into the stables with the help of uh, Mr. Burke here. And a good afternoon to you, Mrs. Hare. Hmm. Well, that's the authorities come to collect him now. Right. Aren't you going to fetch the coffin then? Uh, we have this vital business to attend to concerning the load in this sack. Oh, yes. It's fair burn in a hole, which would be inconvenient at best. Well, get along with the two of you then. I'll show the authorities to old Donald's celestial chariot. Thank you, wife. So what's in the sack? The sack? The one that is so vital that the two of you are carrying between you like it contained the Holy Grail and the original Ten Commandments, stones and all. Ah, uh, this sack? This is just tree bark? Tree bark? Yes, I've collected it for the tannin trade. It fetches a fair price. We'll get away with you. Right. right. The way you're behaving, you'd think you'd had a dead body in there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Donald, might have been a figure of a man. But we'll be skin and bones by the time we get there. This is the place, I judge. Right, so what do we say? Say, 
Yes, we can't hardly knock on the door and inquire, is this the place where you buy the stiffs? I knew that. Good. We have to use subtlety. Sounds good. We have to find the house of one of those doctors. Right, and then? Then we knock and say, is this the place where they buy the stiffs? And what if he's a doctor of the Latin? Perhaps not the Latin. Mind you, there was many a dead body in them Latin texts. A fearful, bloodthirsty lot they were. Scarce needs credited in these God-fearing times. Surgeon's Square. <laughs> now we couldn't be in a better place. Not unless it was dead bodies bought here square. No. We need one of those doctors that are cutting up the bodies to be learning about people's insides. Which I always thought was an unnatural thing to be doing. And why is that? Because I'm a great fan of the sweetbreads. Partial to a breakfast kidney, not to mention a fondness for liver. And how am I going to enjoy these delights knowing that the very same awful banquet exists within my own 36-year-old bodily butcher shop? Just be grateful then that there are men who thrive on such learning. Next time you are taken by infirmity. Ah, if I could afford their prices, I could afford not to be ill in the first place. So, let us see. Pahisiology. Paharm. Impressed as I am with your reading of the letters, do you have the ghost of an idea what any of them means? Don't rush me. Why is the meaning likely to come clearer if you slow down more? Paharmacol. Paharm. Ah, we'll be here all night. Yes. Is this the place where they buy the stiffs? The stiffs? Uh, for the purpose of advancing medical investigation and knowledge. Why? Well, here we have my recently departed brother, Donald, whose last wish was to be of benefit to mankind. Which is surely something he never was in his life. I see. And presumably this benefit would extend to his family. Well, the extending of knowledge is something that enriches us all. But there is no doubt that riches in the hand helps more directly with one's own bills. May I see? Hmm. There is very little in the way of a family resemblance, considering that he was your brother. My brother? Uh, did I say that? Uh, I meant, of course, my sister's brother. Your sister's brother? His father having moved on, as it were, from his initial nuptials, uh, which would make Donald only half a brother, even less in many parts of Westport, where he lived. I see. If you wait, I will ask Dr. Knox. Did not think we'd have to bargain. Hush. I'll this for a few coppers, I bet. I am authorised to give you six pounds. Six pounds? Eight. Seven. It would be unseemly to be arguing money about the disposition of my dearly departed brother. Half brother. It was like a whole one to me. So call it seven pounds ten shillings, now throw in the sack. Seven pounds ten it is. But take him round to the back and never knock on the front door again. Again? Again. Right. right. It would be a lot quicker if we could have had two spades. The business is not well enough advanced to warrant the investment. Well, you could at least spell me. <laughs> then who'd stand lookout? Anyway, I thought you said you'd dug the Union Canal. Not by myself, I didn't. They say there are some professionals that can dig a hole, remove the body, and have the coffin back in place, all in the time it takes a widow to wipe her eyes. Well, they must have had looser soil than this. I'll swear this has seen a couple of frosts in a sweltering hot Edinburgh summer or two. Here. 
You have got the right grave, haven't you? Yes. Joe Stevens, just as you said. The very same. Who gave such pleasure to so many at the old Fusilier. Well, I hope her loving husband, Albert, knew nothing of it. No, Egypt. Joseph Stevens, the innkeeper who passed away not two days ago. Ah, that wouldn't be June 12th, 1825 then. That is right. On account of the fact that two years in the ground would leave very little of interest to the worms, let alone the medical profession. You know, seven pounds and ten shillings is a fine sum. But this is altogether too much like hard work for my disposition. If only we had a little more light. If only we had a drink. Come on, we must retire and think. This business is perhaps more complicated than we first thought. We need a plan. Yes, a business plan. That will ensure our future prosperity. Oh, right. And there's me thinking an extra spade might be the thing. No, it's a business plan we're lacking. It's clear you have no head for business. If you start involving your head in business, no good will come of it. A business is run from the stomach. The only successful men of business are those that have the stomach for it. Well, we shall have both the head and the stomach and all the other organs that we can provide for Dr. Knox. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Shall I fill in the hole? No. They'll only think a bird has been scratching for worms. It is a sad and terrible thing that seven pounds ten shillings, which was once a princely sum, now can barely keep a man in whiskey and victuals for a week. It's wicked what things cost nowadays. And a sad reflection on how little, in real terms, we value God's divine vessel. The body. It's true. And it's not as if bodies grown trees. Except in England at Tyburn. And the gallows at the top of Liberton's wind. And those fruits are already taken, I'll bet. Ah, bless your wife. Supper. Oh, supper is it you want? Sitting round here drinking while I'm slaving away, practically asleep on my feet. Well, is that not broth you carry? Not for you, it's not. The lodger Miller's paying me good coin for this to be taken to his room. Lost the use of his legs, has he? No. He's been taken ill. Ill, you say? Will he die? Will he linger? Will he tarry? Should we make provisions for the funeral? He has nothing but a mild fever and will probably be back on his feet in a day or two. No! Hold, wife! Come to think of it, you do look tired. Let me save your legs and take this up to Mr Miller. What are you after? After? What a day we have come to when a husband's good deed is looked upon with such disfavour. Well, you won't be eating it. As William Burke here is my witness, I will take care of Mr Miller. Oh yes, I'll make sure of that. All right, I'll take to my bed then. I am weary. Oh, please, let it be the consumption at least. Perhaps the pneumonia. Nothing that does not heed a hasty demise. We don't want him wasting away, in case the medics decide to pay by the pound. Go. Fetch the man and say his broth is awaiting him here. I'll sort out the seating to find him a draught. That'll do. And now for the broth. No, mustn't skip on the medicine. <laughs> I really think I should be in my bed. Nonsense. You need to get the circulation going. That and a drop of broth will put you on your feet in no time. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm very tired. Now here's Mr. Herr to join us. Well, they said you were sick. <laughs> it's rude health you're in, and no mistake. I felt better. Nonsense, man. Sit here by the window, get some fresh air, and 
eat your broth. Oh, well, that <clears throat> does smell good. Hmm. Yeah, that is good. Hey. Yeah. Um, non usual flavour, but uh, palatable. That's very good indeed. Mm. Here. Have some more. Mm. Aye. Give me your bowl. Yeah. Seem to be getting my appetite back. See? You're in the spring mm. of your head, like a young colt prancing across the meadow. It, it's, it's very warming. Broth can have that effect. Oh, some talk of the recuperative powers of meat and potatoes. And it's not to be doubted that they can help nail a man to the world of the physical. But sometimes it must be said that they can also put a strain on the system. Which you do not get with broth. A fish, they say, can aid the brain if shoddy thinking is your frailty. But it can't reach down to your boots like broth. And also from the ocean's fair, an oyster or six can give vigour to prince or pauper. But while ink in your nib is no doubt an attraction... You'll do better with the staying power of broth. <laughs> well, I must admit the feeling's somewhat improved. Improved? No. Improvement is what you might get with a game pie hot from the stove. Or joked her and mustard. But broth is more than relish or condiment. It is neither seasoning nor a pickle. A good broth is a roaring fire on a freezing day. It's the love of friends and family. Ah, it is the first chaste kiss of your childhood sweetheart. It's the first bowel movement of the day. Ah, no. It's the perfumed letter from your paramour wrapped with the finest French ribbon. It is the carefree sleep of a babe in arms. Oh, right. I have rarely seen a soul with such a capacity for broth. What was in it? Oh, a thin gruel, no more. A few vegetables, bit of mutton, and a drop of mother's milk. Mmm. If that was my mother's milk, I never would have left the teat. You must find me the recipe. It was the least I could do. To provide him with a bit of comfort in his last hours. Last hours? Didn't he just say he was feeling better? An obvious ploy, so as not to be seen to take advantage of our Christian charity. Eh? I mean, you only have to look at him to see that here is a man with one foot on the path to glory. He has. I mean, just look at his colour. A healthy glow. Ah, that's only the surface colour. I see. Which can be most misleading. Oh, yes. It's the underneath colour that tells the full story, as is now generally accepted. I have heard this. And that is far from good. Right. You may notice a most unhealthy hue, a tint of yellow in his underneath colour. Well... I would have thought it obvious. An almost gangrenous pallor underneath. Come to mention it, I can begin to see it. The colour of a man in bed with malaise. Yes. The colour of impending infirmity. It's there, no doubt. A man struggling with debility, a martyr to suffering. I would say that here was a man hanging on to life by the thinnest of threads that was even now being gnawed at by rats. It pains me to see such suffering. He would not allow it in a horse. He would already be halfway to the knacker's yard. But we let one such as this, a man widely acknowledged as a great humanitarian and philanthropist. I thought he was a Presbyterian. That is as maybe, but I will not let it dissuade me from my Christian duty of alleviating the discomfiture of this man. Why? We would be as guilty as if we had given him the foul ague in the first place. We must act to ease this travesty. To delay would be criminal. I'll hold him, you trottle. No, 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 no. What are we thinking of? You're right. How could we? This is all wrong. I see it now. We'll leave marks for sure. 
Of course. We need some method that will not make a history around his neck. Whack him over the head. And you don't think that this might be noticed, say, when it came to the dissection of the brain? We could put a hat on him. Sorry. Here. Place him on the table. If I just push his mouth closed with my mm. thumb, then gently press his nostrils. <coughs> Quick! Pin him down, you fool! No! Get on top! William Burke, I always knew you might leave me on account of my wholesome yet undeniable plainness, but I never thought you would sink to unnatural acts. Nell, I can explain. There is no need. If you're tired of me, you should have just said. And you must hear a married man. No, it's not like that. Most certainly not. Oh, no? No, we were just... Uh... Just... Resuscitating the man. What? It's true. Poor Mr. Miller, having been ill, was just sharing a drink with us when he had problems with his breathing and your William here was just trying the latest in medical techniques to give him breath again by a vigorous palpitation of the abdomen. Oh. Alas, it seems your interference might have proved fatal. The man does not breathe. I'm afraid by your interruption, you have contributed to his death. No. What is all the noise about? I have killed him! Shut up, you foolish woman. Who have you killed? I have killed Mr. Miller. Oh, be quiet, woman. He was not in the best of health. I'm sure it was nothing you've done. Uh, you've heard her. She's confessed. She's not guilty. I know that. But upon confession has the good Catholic Church been built. It has been both foundation and entertainment for generations of priests. So how can I argue with it? And what is more, it's as good as a lynch rope to a sheriff. What is to become of me? Don't fret. There might be a way to square this circle. We must tell the authorities. What? And see our friend, the companion of good Mr. Burke, not to mention paying lodger, Helen MacDougall, go to the gallows. <laughs> not while I take breath. Then what are we to do? An avenue of opportunity presents itself. And what will this cost us? Not a farthing. In fact, the reciprocal may take place. Yes. I have heard of medical men, scientific men in Surgeon's Square, who are only too pleased to welcome the recently deceased into their abodes. For unwholesome and ungodly practices, from what I hear. And they are willing to pay for it. How much? Seven pounds and ten shillings. Seven, Seven pounds and, and ten, ten shillings. shillings. And no questions asked. Well, he was not a bad man. Oh. But then again... Yes? yes? He does still owe me for the broth. Fetch the old tea chest from under the stairs. I wish I had now all the coin that I'd previously spent on wine and whiskey. Oh, me too. I cannot argue with that. Me neither. I wish I had all the money that you had spent on whiskey. <laughs> and what would you do with it? Buy a palace for your nail? No. Palaces can be burnt down by an unruly mob. He would invest it wisely instead, I'm sure. Stocks and shares are the way of the future. Invest it and let your money work for you. Then sit and put your feet up as interest accrues. <laughs> interest. That is the way of it.
It is an amazing thing of this great country of ours that all you need to become filthy, stinking rich is to be filthy rich in the first place. And why were the rich stinking in the first place? Because they have such wealth that they never have to wash. I can instead have a petticoat for every day of the year and so do not have to chance the dangers that contact with water can bring. The woman is right for once. Didn't the tanner Jonathan die from such an encounter? He drowned. It's all the same. No. The rich were stinking because when they passed on, their money brought them a bed within the very church itself. And there beneath the flagstones, their corruption in death as in life was evident for all. Ah. If I had all the money here now with me that I had spent previously on drink, I would buy it all again. <laughs> that is a truly generous offer. And why do you reach this conclusion? Because even in the accumulation of wealth, the poor are cheated. How so? We have no history of it. We are ill-prepared, unlike the rich who are taught at the teat which artists we should appreciate or to esteem a fine piece of furniture. Neither are we qualified to spend our money in the height of fashion or to tell the difference between a shiny trinket or a duchess's dowry. I always wanted a brooch. Want a pen a scarf with? So we sit on old crates, dress in what keeps us warm, look for the sparkle in a young girl's eye, and such pictures as we possess are drawn in the fire with our own mind's eye and are lost just as quick. And if we come into some money, then what do we do with it? We drink it! And so what's wrong with that? Nothing! The miller! What? A toast? Well, not to his health. No. No, to his memory. Well, that is all that will be left of him. That's all that's left is of any of us. I would like a white marble stone with little angels and on it re- Not gone. Only sleeping. Mausoleum or pauper's grave. It's all the same in the end. A line is drawn. An ending made. No. He goes on, God willing, to a better place. What? The dissecting room of Dr. Knox? That's for his mortal remains only. What else is there? There must be something. Or else the priests wouldn't have been banging on about it all this time. When's the last time you saw a thin priest? It seems to me that piety is now found in proportion to girth. The body is but a vessel. Then what were you doing with the miller? Emptying his vessel for him. Resuscitating. I'm not as green as I'm cabbage looking. Resuscitating indeed? Do you think I'm like Nell sleeping there in her innocence? He was sick. It was a charitable act. Well, in this case, charity really did begin at home. But please, in future, save me from your generosity. Yet you said nothing. I saw nothing, remember? And I could swear as much on a stack of Bibles. But reasons? They say that nobody except the undertaker and the worms profits when a life ends. Well, in this case, it profited us. So perhaps life to us now makes amends. Well done, wife. That rhymed. I know. I call it poetic justice. <laughs> oh, come on, you two. Leave the dismemberment to the doctors. It's not for the likes of us to perform this autopsy of our actions. If anything is to be split, let it be this body. Eh? And divide it four ways. I assure you, the operation will be painless. This surgery I can perform with skill. I have practiced long and studied with the best of them. Come on, Nell, wake up. I'll you miss the excision. I dreamt of angels. Why bother with the spirit world? When we have a world of spirits. The operation is a success. Alas, it seems we now have another dead man with us.
Then let's make him some company. Pays, <laughs> <laughs> pays, hot pays. Pays, pays, hot pays. Ah, oh, jeez. We've not made it to our beds. Uh, I hate that. What was the merchandise last night? The old woman. Old woman? The pensioner Simpson. Ah, oh, yes. An elderly thing. Scratching a meagre living with a few shillings pension. Aye, old and destitute. It's no life. It's the country I blame. How can they expect the aged to survive on such paltry amounts? It's true. Is it too much to ask that in your twilight years you should not have to struggle to keep body and soul together? Is it right? that the body that slaves and pays its taxes is not granted succour in its even song. When I think of the suffering that poor pensioner Simpson went through, it fair breaks my heart. It is a service we provide, no doubt. Yes, an assistance that she might otherwise not have found time or inclination to attend to herself. It is good to be of help. It brings a small swell of pride to the chest. If the state were more enlightened, we would be salaried. Indeed, we would be men of substance looked up to in the community. We would have our own uniforms. And a coat of arms. With a motto underneath in the Latin. And what would it say? Oh, probably something from the Bible, as there is much good to be said about carnage in those pages. And do you think that we'd have a hat? A hat? Yes. I've always been much taken by a hat such as those worn by the Fusiliers. It does increase the hate and is well looked upon by women. Then you shall have a hat. A hat. A hat. With a feather. No. No feather. No feather. We would not have the public think we were frivolous. I suppose not. The Noble Order of Resurrectionists. Resurrectionists? It's what they call them two-a-penny grave robbers. Yeah. They say it is because of the speed with which they can free a body from its soil bed and get it onto the doctor's slab. But they are as nothing compared with us. We get the body to the slab without the inconvenience of the burial at all. So if any deserve the title Resurrectionists... It is our good selves. Aye, to the noble order of resurrectionists. The noble order of resurrectionists. The noble order of resurrectionists. The old woman, Simpson. You did dispatch her. Me? Nah, it was to be you that was to have that pleasure. It looks like neither of us did. Oh, that means we haven't been paid. That would be the long and the short of it. I was counting on that money. There was a new coat that rather took my fancy. Ha! And where was it bottled? That as well. Well, come and earn your slice. Why me? Because your hands are bigger. Oh, yes. No. Doesn't seem right to kill a sleeping woman. You'd kill a drunk one. That's different. How? Little baby sleep. And? Well, they're innocents. But this is not a baby. This is Abigail Simpson, an old woman not even from Westport, who has not changed her petticoats since George III passed on. Then you do it. Let me see if I have this exact. You would assist the departure of a drunk woman, but not a sleeping one. Of course, for in sleep, you are an innocent in the hand of God. Then surely in drunkenness you are supping with the devil and anything would be a release. Give me the bottle then. There. She's drunk again. Are you sure? Oh yes, definitely drunk, not sleeping. I wouldn't want to get it wrong. No, she's drunk. That's all right then, if you're sure. I am. Just push her mouth closed with my thumb, then gently press the nostrils, like a candle. A candle. Come on, Mr. Patterson. We have a delivery for Dr. Knox. We've never had to wait this long before. Don't worry. I'm sure it's simply a small delay. 
What if it's not? What if he's got enough bodies? There might have been a run on them. Dead bodies don't run. Have we had a scourge or a pestilence of late? Perhaps they've broken down the walls and railings at some Cuthbert's at the foot of Lothian Road and cleared out the tombs within. Or maybe they found a way around the watchtowers of Candidate Kirk and emptied the mausoleums. Shut your face, or I'll stick my boot in it. Ah! Mr. Patterson! You're not Mr. Patterson. And you are? That is the business of Mr. Patterson. His business is my business. And what if we don't want your business to be our business? Then your business will be out of business. I am Dr. Knox. Dr. Knox! And you must be Messrs. Burke and Hare. It is late. Patterson is asleep. I was going myself. Death does not sleep. Oh, death sleeps. It just does not wake. What? Never mind. Follow me. Ah. So you are the two resurrectionists. Ah, uh, yes, Your Honor. We are that, sir. I've just looked at your most recent cadaver, the old woman. Remarkably fresh. Thank you, sir. We aim to do our best. I thought I would have a little word with you. A quiet talk about the work. The work? Well, it's no problem, thank you. Some of the hours are a bit antisocial, but... I meant the work that you support by your activities. What do you know of it? Well... What is the reason for it? What do we stand to gain? With about 500 students and 50 guineas a head, a fair amount, I'd say. Yes. There is that to be said for it as well. A great demand exists, and where there is the demand, so supply will follow as surely night follows day, winter, autumn, and disappointment a great love. Uh, you've put your finger on it there, Your Honor. Supply and demand is what it is. We are nothing if not businessmen. Uh, and surely it is true, the small businessman, that this country has grown to be the economic powerhouse that it is today. Ah. Uh. Surely it is. And we are hoping that this new initiative of ours, which, as it were, mixes the public and you, the private, will, with correct finance, enable us to meet demand with supply. Yes, the public and the private. Very good. But do you know why there is this demand? It is not our job to question the demand, only to satiate it. Still, gentlemen... As businessmen, you should be aware that we are on the cusp of a new age. An amazing age. An age of what to many will seem like miracles. I'm all for miracles. Just think. It is barely two decades since McDowell successfully took from a living woman a tumorous growth infecting the organs of reproduction. Yet we have already come much further still. Advances are continually being made, both in technique and instrumentation. Here, have you seen this before? No. no. It is called... A stethoscope. With this, I can hear every beat that is made by your heart. I can separate the contractions of each atrium from that of the ventricles. I am privy to the rhythm it plays. And from this, I can tell if it performs as it should. I can know your heart as a conductor knows his orchestra. I can know your heart better than you know the breathing of your wives. Can you imagine that? No. An age of marvels. We now have vaccines for the smallpox, and soon we will address problems like the typhus that wasted the army of Napoleon. And think for a minute just how different the map of Europe would be if that had been prevented. There might be nothing we cannot affect a cure for. Cholera, consumption, yes, even that. And do you know why this is? 
No, sir. Because of the knowledge that we gain. The knowledge that we gain from research, from investigation, from investigating and studying the bodies of the poor wretches that such as you bring to us. A sobering thought, is it not? Ah, yes. Sober. This knowledge is a shining light, and with this light we shall chase away the darkness of ignorance that still obscures and obstructs our further understanding. The 19th century will be an era of enlightenment to rival the Renaissance, and you, gentlemen, <laughs> you are our Lucifers, our light bringers. How does that make you feel? Well, this light, for sure, is very bright. It does affect the eyes. Yes, it is an arc lamp. It is an invention of a fine scientist called Humphrey Davy. I used it to examine your old woman. It is powered by electricity. Electricity? electricity? Do you go to the theatre? Uh, no. Well, it is nothing but an interesting diversion, I admit. However, last year I saw the actor Thomas Cook in a stage piece called The Monster and the Magician. Quite illuminating in its own way, too, though I understand the book is even better. Written, I am told, by a woman, one Mary Godwin, concerning the work of one Baron Frankenstein. She has some thoughts on electricity and your profession. You might find it educational. Oh? Never mind. It is late. I am tired. Good night. Did you follow any of that? Not as such. Do you know what it means? I would say... In all probability, after some thought, about two pounds extra a body. You have been listening to Burke and Hare by Terry Newman. Burke and Hare starred Rob Crouch as Burke, Jonathan Clarkson as Hare, Genevieve Swallow as Margaret Hare, Holly McLay as Helen, Clive Greenwood as Lord Coburn, Neil McCormick as Dr. Knox, Adam Hall as Mr. Miller. It was recorded at Unity Studios and engineered by Carlos Ziccarelli. Barkin Hare was first commissioned and produced for the stage by the Skull Duggery Theatre Company. It was produced by Jack Bowman and directed by Robert Valentine. Visit wirelesstheatrecompany.co.uk for more audio downloads.